Alright, here we go. One year anniversary of AEW Dynamite. One of the most anticipated shows by AEW. Why? Well, I guess all titles being on the line for the first time in Dynamite history might be the clue. And not only this, but a lot of storylines finally coming to an end, like Best Friends vs. FTR, Lance Archer vs. John Moxley for now, also being a big part of this anticipation. Plus the fact that we can finally see a baby child grow. And I'm saying this a little, a little bit weird, but in all honesty, it means so much to me and I guess to all of you because we all love AEW, we all love Dynamite and it feels like only a couple of months ago it's all just started. Well, with pandemic it feels like eternity ago but for me it feels like maximum six months ago the first Dynamite episode aired and a couple of months prior to this all in, double or nothing and all out happened. But it was already a year and we can clearly see how much the landscape changed and how much more are we now invested in AEW and Dynamite in general. So let's not waste any more time and let's begin. Show started with FTR vs Best Friends. It wasn't Brush of Greatness match, it was a typical 60 minute time limit match for the world titles. If you watched my previous podcast, then you knew that there was some sort of misunderstanding between uh, people who made posters for the well, for the for this match, and with their original plans. Because in this poster, we could clearly see there was a little a little text saying "20 minute brush of greatness" type of match, when clearly we heard on Dynamo there will be. No brush of greatness, and it would be a typical tag team title match, which was the case. So all misunderstanding were cut off straight away. Uh, well, actually, the next day when they posted a new poster for this match without brush of greatness. So once again, this match, as you clearly could have guessed, was fun. Surprisingly, FTR didn't work the whole match on their opponent's leg, which was a big surprise for me because that's what they've been doing for the last fucking three weeks in a row. But in all seriousness, it was a very good match. Where FTR most of the time worked on Tren with uh, one or two short but very effective hot tags from Chucky T and then back again to beating up Tren. But Trent was the one who had one of the best near falls of this match. After beating Trent, FTR decided to go for Goodnight Express, but Chucky T yoinked Cash from the top rope and then performed strong zero, but only for a two count. It was a little bit different type of match for FTR, how I said before, because instead of being grounded all the time, they tried to perform high-risk maneuvers. For example, suplex from a top rope. You can say it's not very high risk maneuver, but if you saw it, it fucking was. It was brutal. And this suplex led for one of the best moments of this match in my opinion. When Dax went for 
the same suplex later on this match. Instead, Trent reversed it in mid-air for another great near-fall. And why it's so good for me in my opinion, because not only did it show the mirror image of the previous episode that happened in the beginning of this match, which was a nice foreshadowing of what could possibly happen, but mostly, it was so good because we saw and commentators put it over greatly that FTR were desperate. They needed anything to beat best friends. That's why they change up their plan from being grounded all the time to being more open to the high-risk maneuvers that they not really a fans of. And it was so great because this puts over Trent and Chucky team massively in comparison to some other teams. And the finish came after one moment on the outside. When Trent speared the arcade of Kip Sabian that was standing there for two weeks and Kip, Mira, Penelope were playing this from time to time. We could clearly see it when the camera cuts to them. And after that, Trent still tried to fight, but Cash hit him with a ballot and it was enough for the victory. And once again... AW tried to push this idea of FTR possibly being one of the best, if not the best team in the entire world, but they still need the help from outside. They need some sort of interference to actually win their match. And I'm a fan of that because it puts over their opponents massively in a way because, for example, if not this title shot, Tren and Chucky T possibly could have still beat FTR even after this arcade spot because they were close to putting them to an end. That's why they were so desperate to do anything. And it happened with their previous opponents and previous opponents because every time they had this moment where you felt like challengers could actually win, but this interferes cuts every single possibility of the challengers to win and FTR retains. But after the match, best friends try to cheer themselves up and try to give the people what they want, but Mira attacked because after Trent destroyed the arcade, Miro, uh, Kip called Penelope Ford so she could call Miro, come out and help them out. And they absolutely destroyed the best friends. And I guess this is the match that we're going to build to for the next week or for maybe next two weeks. You know, maybe next week we're going to hear some promos or some shit like this. And straight away after this segment, or sort of, we got ourselves another match. Keep Sabian and Mira versus Sean Maluda and Lee Johnson. It was a... Two-minute squash match where 95% Mira absolutely dominated his opponents because 95 because Kip had like one shot, one punch, and that was it. Uh, it was fun. It was fine. Yeah, but after the match, Mira cut this fucking promo, which was just hear it. 
Good friends, you break my shit. Game over. What else can you say? It's fucking incredible, don't you think so? After that, we had another promo segment where MJF called the inner circle. And they were wearing the jackets that MJF gave them. Even Sammy, because he finally got one. Uh, even though it was like two sizes more that Sammy wears. But it doesn't fucking matter. Because you finally got yourself a jacket. So please shut your mouth and wear it. But it was a pretty long segment. I'm gonna straight uh, say it straight away. I enjoyed it, but not as much as I should have. Or not as much as I enjoyed some other skits that they had before. Because, well, first of all, it went for too long in my opinion. And second of all, they could have cut some of the jokes out. Because they didn't really hate with the crowd as as they should have. It's just my opinion. Uh, in our summary, we found out that Chris Jericho hates Animal Planet. Uh, weird fact. Very specific, but... Sure, why not? And the fact that MJF, after swallowing his pride, maybe hypothetically, theoretically, possibly wants to join the inner circle. After that, Ortiz said, Even though it's your dream, you're finally living this dream of being close to Chris Jericho and wanting to be in the inner circle. You're not gonna be, because we hate you and we don't want to see you near us. Chris Jericho said, No, no, no. Let's wait and make a decision like a family together. But next week, we're gonna have a one-on-one -on -one dinner. Uh-huh. A dinner. And I'm gonna expect that it's gonna be fucking great because it's gonna be pre-taped. It's gonna be... It's gonna be fun. Over the top. And I'm going to love this hopefully more than I love this because it was fun. But just, just, just wait too much to try to do in this not short period of time. After that, we had Cody versus Orange Cassidy for the TNT title. Cody went back to his blown hair, and Orange Cassidy was uh, Orange Cassidy. So, how did this match go? Well, first five to ten minutes were. Very typical for Orange Cassidy now. He obviously tried to do his shtick, hands in a pocket, and lazy kicks. But after getting pushed on the floor, he decided to be more serious. He decided to perform some moves, some chops, some reversals, some wrist lock. That he actually never did before in his career, some shit like this. Uh, and yeah, it was fun. But it was not really connecting with me until Cody went outside, get a stare down with the Dark Order that were still watching without Brody Lee, Stu Grayson, or Eva Luna or Kalkabana. But still, there was obviously number 10, 5, 4, and 3 with Anna J. And we got ourselves one of the best moments of this match where. Silver fucking Silver decided to seal the bell, tried to hit Orange or Cody with a bell, probably Cody because of the, you know, dog collar match, but missed it. Orange Cassidy punched him in the face, 
and the Dark Order got ejected out of the ring, even though they were not even part of the, you know, of the match as a supporter for one side. Orange Cassidy had this nice stare down. He looked at the belt. He looked at Cody, teasing that he might be actually gonna hit him in the back, but instead just gave the title to Arn Anderson. And then we had like five to seven minute incredible sequence between those two. We've seen air crash, uh, air crash on the apron. We've seen some great exchanges from Cody to Orange. We've seen air crash fucking uh, onto the mat. Uh, then we see Michinoku driver from Orange Cassidy, and I actually fell on one point that he's gonna be able to do this. He's gonna be able to do this, but throughout this whole match, Cody was working on Orange's leg, putting him constantly in a figure four lock, figure four lock with the steel post, everything he could possibly do to stop him from hitting some of his moves. And at one point where it was like three minutes remaining, when Orange finally realized he needs to do everything he possibly can, from time to time his, his leg gave away. And it was so much tension. And one last minute remained. Orange, after putting him in a Mishnoka driver, one, two, no, not enough. He fires up, he tries to go for his orange punch, runs up, and his legs gave away. Cody then puts him in a crossroads position, swipes, no, he's not going to be able to make a move. No, he's not able to do a move. Orange Cassidy does his mousetrap. One, two, the ref is about to go for three, but... It's a countdown, and this five to seven sequence between those two was fucking perfect. I'm telling you, it was one of the best draws I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. It was near perfection, it had only added up more when Ref goes to give the title to Cody and Orange, who thought that he won because it was so close. His face tells everything. He's so happy. He's about to get this title, but then he immediately understands that he lost due to Countdown. And later on, we're gonna have the announcement that in two weeks is going to be Orange Cassidy versus Cody one more time. And once again, I'm maybe not so much looking forward to this, but after this match, hmm. You got my interest. But during this whole match, we've seen Darby Allen in the crowd. And later on the show, it got announced that at full gear, Darby Allen will face against anyone who will win the TNT title, obviously for the TNT title. And it kind of gives away to me that it's going to be Cody versus Darby. And in my opinion, Darby Allen should win. They obviously have this history between themselves. That Darby Allen was so close to beating Cody so many times, but every time something went wrong. Either on Anderson, either just a simple luck for Cody. And at full gear, Cody should lose this title. And, you know, in two weeks we're going to have an Orange Cassidy match. And I'm kind of looking forward to it, and kind of not at the same time. And you know why not? 
It's because of this brotherly defeat. And I understand that you needed maybe to do this match for ratings or for just reminding people how good Orange Cassidy can be, but I really think it damaged the perception of Orange Cassidy because here he goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with injured after a dark color match, obviously Cody, but still toe-to-toe, -to -toe, time limit draw. But then you remember this uh, match against Brody Lee and you think to yourself, well, you couldn't put this man, you know, to rest. So how the fuck can you be Cody who beat Brody Lee? And that's why I think the match against Brody Lee was uh, a misstep, even though it was quite a nice match. After the match, we got another announcement that next week, the tournament, uh, the elimination tournament, to declare the first contender for the world champion will start. We're gonna have Kenny Omega versus Joy Janela. Should be a good match. Cole Cabana versus Hangman Adam Page. Should be a good match. Wardlow versus Jungle Boy. Should be a very good match. And what's that? Oh yes! Penta El Zero versus fucking Ray Phoenix. Oh my god! That should be fucking incredible. I, I don't think I need to say anything more after hearing this lineup. And obviously, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page are on the opposite sides. They say they're not gonna meet until the final. But I'm not sure if they will. Obviously, it's it should build up to this match, but I really think we might be gonna see some interference from one man to another, and we're not gonna see Kenny Omega Hangman Page final because it's just way too simple for this storyline to go this way. It kind of feels weird if it's gonna happen, but we're gonna have to wait and see. Then we had another interview promo segment with Matt Hardy now and he finally announced that he's 100% clear but what's that? It's another fucking video package and it's all photos of Matt Hardy of versions of Matt Hardy being burned by one man in a hoodie and this man is Sammy Guevara a little bit underwhelming, not gonna lie to you. He announces that he was the man that attacked Matt Hardy with a baseball bat. He was the man who put him out on the shelf one more time. And when Matt Hardy every single time will come back and be 100% clear, he will be back to bring him back on the shelf one more time. Clearly, we're not done with this rivalry. And... Uh, I know that a lot of people are very down on this segment, are very down on this, you know, feud continuing, but I'm not against it. Obviously, the reason why it still goes on is because Matt and Sammy want to finally put it to rest. They finally want to end this and end this properly in a way that they always wanted, not with any fucking injury, with any controversy, just end the match right and i can respect this but why i'm up for this segment to go forward is because i really think they should finally do an all elite deletion match 
I always wanted to see this match against Chris Jericho and Matt Hardy, but Sammy Guevara makes sense as well. Obviously, we're not going to see 30 years of Jericho iterations coming to life, at least for now. But once again, Sammy Guevara versus Matt Hardy should be ending in a firing feud, you know, this in a firing match, a hardcore match that should be absolutely 100% pre-taped because we all know if it's go live against Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara is going to go fucking wrong somehow. So pre-tape it, make sure that all spots going to look great, but also safe as much as you possibly can. So if something goes wrong, at least you can stop it and you can prevent it from going, you know, in a horrible way one more time. So only deletion match is the only logical way, in my opinion, how this feud can finally end. Then we had another fucking segment that was, in all honesty, probably the worst thing on the show. It was Tony Schiavone and two referees deciding which team will face in a fatal four-way match, pretty sure next week, to declare the first contender to face FTR at full gear. It's going to be Private Party, it's going to be Butcher and the Blade, it's going to be Alex Reynolds and John Silver, and it's going to be, guess who, obviously, the Young Bucks. After that being announced, Young Bucks super kicked all the teams apart from Private Party, paying homage to this one year anniversary, obviously, because one year ago, Private Party beat it, Young Bucks in the tournament. So what are they doing now? Uh, they super kicked them as well. Once again, I am a little bit invested, but I'm also a little bit not invested in this storyline. Why? Well, Heel versus Heel, FTR, Young Bucks can work, but maybe it could have been better if one side would be more of a face team. Or if this personified of Young Bucks would actually mean something. Because right now they're just super kicking anyone who they want and it's not paying off to anything. Yeah, they throw up money from time to time, but... They need something more, either being suspended, either something that would make this action feel like they actually matter. And so far, it didn't happen. And even though I'm still invested, why wouldn't you be invested in FTR versus Young Bucks? It slowly fades away, in my opinion. And... Um, the biggest concern that I have is this feud will go the same route as it's going right now. If Young Bucks gonna win next week and they just gonna have this match in full gear, it's gonna be a little bit disappointing, even if the match will be like 10 out of 5 fucking stars. Because you would expect something more from this feud that had been teased for years. You wouldn't want it to get picked by four fucking paper rolls who were in a big flying fucking chamber. After that, 
we had a women's division match, Hikaru Shida vs Big Swole. It was a 9 minute fine match, uh, a little bit sloppy from time to time. And uh, what else can I say about this match? It was a women's edition of Dynamite. 9 minutes, 3 minutes in a commercial break, and picture in picture, Hikaru Shida retains. That's it? No, it's it's basically it. They had some good moves. They had some good exchanges of punches and, you know, kicks. But overall, it's just typical dynamite with their poor women's division. I really can't say anything more. If we're talking about something good that happened in women's division, I would actually... Uh, suggest that in the beginning of the show there was like three minute promo or backs. Well, actually, let's put it like this: three minute spa center, Brie, uh, Britt Baker and Tony Schiavone exchange of words. How about this? It was actually quite fun. Not gonna lie to you, where they clearly had fun, kind of shooting on the program or while waxing. <laughs> Tony Schiavone's chest, which was once again pretty funny, and overall, those two segments were all when it comes to women's division, and the one that was comedy was the best one. So uh, I speak, it's I think it speaks volumes in what stage women's division is in AEW. But after that, we had John Moxley. Versus Lance Archer in a no DQ match for the AEW World Title. Throughout the whole show, we've seen Lance Archer beating the living shit out of John Moxley. We've seen John Moxley trying to beat the living shit out of Lance Archer, and then just exchanging fists. Because of all of this, Tony Khan had no choice but to make this match a no DQ match. And bloody hell, it was good. It was like 10 minutes long, and they tried to recreate their uh, Tokyo Dome fight when they put uh, Lance Archer through two tables by doing a paradigm shift. And like, I, like I said before, homage to their Tokyo Dome match. But it all started with a paradigm shift straight away. One, two, kick out. Then they decided to go all out. Fists, kicks, fucking chairs being thrown, choke slams on the chair. How I said before, uh, paradigm shifts for two tables. Just fucking everything that you want to see from this match. I still think, just like in New Japan, they could have made a bigger deal out of this match. Make it five minutes longer. Make them do some crazier shit. Not only get the, you know, the bucket, but also bring a sledgehammer, bring candlestick, bring anything that you can possibly can, and make it feel more dangerous. That is just my opinion, because it was still very good. It's not like it was bad by any means. It was really good, but I think you could have added something special to this. But overall, another paradigm shift still gets only two count. 
blackout from Lance Archer. One, two, three, and the new champion. Just kidding. One, two, roll up from John Moxley. One, two, three. John Moxley retains. After the match, Lance punches. I'm pretty sure. No, he performed a big bid uh, on John Moxley. And Eddie Kingston with Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix, who were on commentary, decided to stop Lance Archer. And after that, fucking Eddie Kingston praises the living shit out of John Moxley, saying that they are good friends still, and he respects everything that he did. He's so much impressed by everything that he put on this match and just in his career in AEW. But how could you just sell yourself out and forget about me? Backhead punch and choking the living shit out of John Moxley while directly looking at the camera. It was a perfect ending in my opinion. You clearly not ending the feud between John Moxley and Lance Archer, which is very good. Oh, against John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, which is very good. You still have a potential of doing Lance Archer and Brian Cage to make Lance Archer do something and Brian Cage do something and not go for the main title. You still have Pentagon and Phoenix in the tournament. And then after the Dynamo went off the air, Eddie Kingston cut another incredible promo, uh, which he basically said that you're great, John. But you sold your soul to the devil and you didn't bring me. You didn't bring any of on, any one of us with you. And you will pay for this, you son of a bitch. Once again, it was great. And the whole show I can describe as constantly very good. Unfortunately for me, it didn't have this incredible moment that would make it a 5 out of 5 show. But even with this, it had like two poor segments. Otherwise, it was very consistently solid, very good show that I fucking loved. Overall, as you clearly can understand, I enjoyed the show. I recommend you to watch it. I would love to know your opinion about this show. And my voice is already fucking letting me go. It's somewhere in the middle of a space and I can barely talk. So I'm going to edit right here, right now. Thank you for listening and hear you soon.